Welcome back to Real Talk. So today's episode you're about to hear was recorded live, our very first live show. And it's going to sound a little different because it was recorded in an auditorium with 1,200 plus people in there. I know. Freshmen. Yes, I've been saying no to the live show because it scares me so much. And then I realize how many people, 1,200 people is a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we had a lot of fun. And we also had a guest co-host who's new um, just for this episode, uh, guest hosting, which is Professor Mary Boudreaux. So you'll hear from her. Um, We have other folks, Brandon Iovine, um, who does work in the Sexuality and Gender Center on campus. Um, Who else do we have with us? Zoe. Of course, everyone knows Zoe. Yeah. And then, of course, us. It was just us. Obviously. Yeah. Us. It felt like a lot more. It did. We were talking about bias because, you know, here we have all these students coming in, um, some living in the dorms, uh, some who are commuting, and joining a brand new community. A social justice community. A social justice community. social justice institution. Mm-hmm. So we took questions from the audience um, about issues of bias, and we had frank conversation. Yeah, you know, welcome to school. We tried not to scare anybody away. Yep, we did good. We I did good. We they did stayed. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't <Yeah>. leave. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. And I hope some of them want to come on the podcast and talk about their experiences too. Yeah. So anyway, welcome to the live show. Enjoy, and we'll see you next week. Oh my goodness, uh, Mary, I'm Casey. Hello, welcome, welcome. Um, this is by far the biggest class I've ever been in front of. How about you? Oh wow, this is exciting. Welcome, welcome to Southern Connecticut State University, freshman. Yes, okay, so um, you heard this from Dr. Ariza. This is going to be, um, yes, you know, an orientation welcome to school program. We're gonna talk about um, all kinds of fun stuff today. Also, it's a live recording of a podcast that we've been doing for many years. And I have been recording this, um, I've been a co-host of the Real Talk podcast uh, for six seasons now. This is season seven. So I've done this many, many times. Mary, Dr. Mary Boudreaux, this is her very first podcast episode with us. And we typically record in a basement across the the quad over there um, with nobody around. So it's usually just us, a couple guests, um, but now we have about a thousand of you with us. So for Mary's very first introduction to the Real Talk podcast, she has an audience of a thousand. So I think we should just welcome her uh, in this extraordinary circumstance. So say welcome to our new co-host. <laughs> Thank you. And this will, so this is going to be recorded um, and it will be released uh, when uh, probably episode two of the season um, in October. We'll have lots of other fun stuff um, this season coming up. But I will say it's not just professors professing um, in this show. In fact, that's not what it is at all. And you see that there's other microphones up here. So I want to welcome the rest of our co-hosts who are going to introduce themselves. Um, Well, should we introduce ourselves first? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who are are you? Um, Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Mary Boudreau. Um, I'm a professor in the College of Education. Uh, If there's any great 
future educators out there, welcome. Um, I am a professor in the Department of Educational Leadership and Policy, which kind of means I generally, in the shortest term, prepare school administrators and those that want to lead um, universities, schools, um, any type form of uh, charter schools, you name it. So that's kind of what I do in a nutshell. And um, I am originally not from the North, not from the Northeast. I'm a Southern girl, a Southern belle. I am originally from Louisiana by way of, um, let me see, Florida, Houston, Texas, thank you, and um, Tennessee. So now I'm here, glad to be here. I've been here. Uh, this will be my fifth year here in the Northeast. So um, wonderful weather. I can't go back across the Mason-Dixon line anymore. Uh, the heat will kill me. I really have become adjusted to this weather, and I love it. And, uh, and I love my beach. So I really live in West Haven, and I live there closely because I love the beach. And so um, my son graduated from here last year, just to let you know. He's an owl, by the way. And he is also in, in graduate school here as well in biology. So you may see him around if you're a biology major. So yeah. Um, and I guess that's about it. And just excited, really, really, truly excited to be here with you all. Yeah, so we are fairly new to each other. So I just learned, I didn't know that your son was an owl um, and still is. That's oh, yeah. very exciting. Um, I'm a communication professor. Um, I came in 2018. I'm actually from Virginia, so also, I guess, from the South. Um, and by way of uh, New Mexico and Wisconsin. And I will say that this is quite an upgrade from Wisconsin in a few ways. Um, and what else about me? I'm a new dad, new-ish dad. Um, I have a daughter named Robin Simone, who um, is both, she's my world, she just turned one um, a few weeks ago. And I'm also so tired, <laughs> so tired. I haven't gotten a good night's sleep since July um, of 2022, so. Um, <clears throat> But anyway, that's a really like that's just uh, been the biggest transformation I've experienced in my life, um, and I cannot imagine. Um, I've been like at CVS recently or Target, and I see all the parents with their kids about to go to school, and I'm like, oh my god! And I'm wearing my baby. I'm like, that's gonna be her one day. Um, hard to imagine. So anyway, we are so glad that you all are here, and we're gonna bring out um, our panelists, our our co-hosts. Um, so uh, in no particular order, uh, Saida Latayad Lewis. A Zoe Pringle. Danielle Campbell. And Brandon Iavine. All right, so uh, our listening audience has met all of us um, through the audio waves, um, but you all don't know who many of us are. So Zoe, why don't we start with you, um, and then we'll come down the line. Uh, tell the people who, a little bit about you. Sure. Uh, my name is Zoe Pringle. I'm from Milford, Connecticut. I am a psych major, studio art minor here at Southern. Um, it's my fourth and final year. Um, I'm a third year resident advisor, so some of you might see me around campus at some events. I'm also a former peer mentor and peer coordinator for university access programs, and this is my second semester as a co-host on The Real Talk. No pressure. 
Hi, y'all. My name is Saida Latayat Lewis, as you heard. I am a recent graduate of the Psychology Master's Program here at Southern. Um, this is my second semester, I think, doing the podcast. Um, excited to see you all. Excited to have you here at Southern. Can't wait to see what you do here. Is this thing on? Oh, okay. Hello, um, my name is Danielle Campbell. Um, I've been here entirely too long. I have two <laughs> bachelors, exercise science and journalism. I'm finishing my master's in sociology and going into a master's in women and gender studies because I like to torture myself. Um, yeah, glad to see you guys. This is a lot of people. <laughs> Hope you do well here. It's a pretty, pretty cool, um, pretty cool school. We have a great environment here, so hope you find your way. Hi everyone, my name is Brandon Iovine. I use he, they pronouns, and I am the graduate intern in the Sexuality and Gender Equality Center here on campus, or otherwise known as SAGE. Um, I graduated in May of 2022 from Southern with a degree in English, but because I don't know what to do with that, I came back and said I need to get a master's. So I'm pursuing a master's in sociology, same as Danielle. So I'm really happy to be with you all today. All right, so on this podcast, um, and if you, if you like what you hear today, um, there's much more where that came from. Um, but we talk about all kinds of issues uh, related to diversity in higher ed. And we are not, um, it's not like sitting in a lecture class. It's like you're hanging out with, um, hopefully, it's like you're hanging out with friends, having real talk, real conversations um, about things that matter to us. And sometimes those are difficult things to talk about. Um, so our official topic today is bias. Um, and in a second, I'm gonna hand it over to Saida, but in general, like when we think about like everyone who's here um, comes from a different walk of life, a different corner of Connecticut, like you've all had your own experiences. And then all of a sudden, I think there's 650 of you who are living on campus. All of a sudden you have new neighbors, uh, you have new friends, um, you're with people who maybe are not like the people you grew up with. And that, you know, that's happening at college campuses all across the country, and it's such a unique and amazing, valuable thing. And also, sometimes, it's a recipe for conflict. And conflict is not inherently a bad thing. It's really how we deal with conflict. So this, this is, we wanna, we wanna uh, create on this campus the most um, welcoming, diverse, justice-minded um, community that we can, where there's a space for everyone for everyone. Um, so Saida, as a resident psychologist, you wanna <laughs> just give us a little foundation about, about this idea of bias. Thank you. Don't hold me to being the resident psychologist. <laughs> I am a researcher. I don't have time to tell people what to do with their lives. <laughs> FYI. So we wanted to give you a little foundation on what we mean by bias. So I pulled up a definition for you. So bias is an inclination, prejudice, preference, or tendency towards or against a person, group, thing, idea, or belief. Biases are usually unfair or prejudicial and are often based on stereotypes rather than knowledge or experience. Bias is usually learned, although some biases may be innate. Bias can develop at any time in an individual's life. So we're gonna give you a moment to just think on that, sit with that definition, and think about how you may have biases that show up in your life and what that means, how that affects the way that you move. And the other point about bias is you may have heard conversations about implicit and explicit bias. 
we all have biases. So, so no one is sort of exempt from that. The point is just to start um, really recognizing what they are and how they show up. So um, Zoe, actually, I wonder if we can toss this over to you. So Zoe has been a resident advisor. So as a professor, I would hear things from my students who are RAs about stuff that was happening in the dorms, and I thought, well, they don't do that in my class. But that's different. You know, how people are in class is very different from how you are in your own living space. So, um, Zoe, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about, like, what have you seen? Like, how does bias show up on campus? Um, and how have people dealt with it? Or whatever, whatever is there for you. Yeah, for sure. I could honestly talk about this topic for days. Um, but just some examples of things that I've seen. I'm also a desk attendant, so the people, whenever you go into the residence halls that are sitting at the desk, we see everything. Um, it may not seem like it, but we see a lot. The hours for a desk attendant are 10 a.m. to 2 a.m., so there's always someone staffed at the desk, um, just trying to make sure that the lobby is safe and everyone's healthy and um, to make sure that no people that aren't supposed to be there are there. So um, sometimes, you know, we have to deal with students and family members. And I remember this one time where um, I was sitting at the desk, you know, doing my job, and a family member comes in and kind of assumes that, like, I'm not supposed to be there. So mm -hmm. they're like, oh, who's someone I can talk to to, like, get my son and this and that. And it was really like invalidating because um, as a black woman, you get people who don't really respect you. And I was like, well, actually, I'm a resident advisor in this building, so you, you should be talking to me. And they, were, they seemed really shocked that I had a position like that on campus. Um, sometimes people don't really have a great idea of like what college looks like now um, back to, compared to when um, older people have went to college. So just little examples like that um, can be kind of damaging because as a resident advisor, you're supposed to, you know, like be the one who's creating um, a safe and healthy and relaxing community. And it's difficult when people don't um, accept you when you're trying to do that. Yeah. I think I want you all to understand, we're not here to tell you that Southern has all these huge issues and things like that. We wanna bring this to your attention in the forefront because we are a social justice institution. So in order to be socially active and advocate and understand what that means, maneuvering through the real world, we need to tell you what it looks like. We wanna have an open conversation about what this looks like, what encompasses bias, microaggressions, racism, sexism, right? Um, as a cisgender female woman, I can tell you I benefit from pronoun privilege, right? I look like what I want to be referred to as. And not everyone has that. So understanding how there's many different types of bias will help you maneuver and be a true advocate for social justice. Ooh, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> Sayidi gets claps. Um, Brandon, I wonder, you also work with students, um, and I wonder what your perspective on this. 
Yeah, you know, working with the queer community at Southern uh, is a very vibrant community, but oftentimes for a lot of queer students in higher ed, especially in an institution like Southern where we're serving a diverse population, they're coming with a lot of different experiences and that can be really challenging when navigating their college experience, especially for first year students like yourselves, it can be even more challenging with coming with like whatever baggage you've got going on and then navigating a new experience that I hear from a lot of queer students in the Sage Center that um, bias shows up in a lot of different ways. And oftentimes in these kind of small little ways, kind of like those like microaggressions like we have mentioned, that um, can really make them feel invalidated in their identities, make them feel like they're not feeling supported. And it can be challenging to address these types of things because Oftentimes biases like exist and are deeply ingrained in our backgrounds and our upbringings and how we address that on a widespread scale is kind of like how we get everybody in this room right now to have a conversation about bias. And I think that's kind of where we need to start. It's like entering the ground floor and kind of addressing where stigma might exist. And that despite that, you know, Southern is an aspiring social justice institution, we have plenty of ways that we need to improve. And, you know, for the LGBTQ plus community here at Southern, you know, it's, uh, it's time that we kind of really bolster our support for those students and address the different ways where we can um, kind of undo some of those stigmas about the queer community. Danielle, do we have any questions yet? <laughs> yeah. Um, so a question we got is, Ooh. is it better to pass judgment and teach when individuals say anything discriminating, or is it better to respond with love and cooperation? Is it situational? Is there even a solution? That's a really good question. Well, yes. Y'all are like thinking deep, lovely. making us work today. Okay. You to I, you know, I, I really think it depends on the situation. Um, particularly myself being a cisgender uh, female, um, and coming from a different, um, a whole different generation. I am, what is it, Gen X. Yeah, I think I'm Gen X. Um, my son is Gen Z. Yeah, so I'm, I'm learning. And I'm learning a lot from him, which, which is unbelievable. And I also have a 10-year-old daughter. I'm also learning a lot from her. She explained to me LGBTQ, and then there's some new acronyms. She was able to tell me that, which was interesting. Um, but I'll, I'll say this, um, along with all these other um, categories that we've talked about, I also have, if there are any athletes in here, are there any athletes? I don't see any. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yep, some there's some. some. Yep, yep. I was a college athlete four years, and I played women's basketball. And I'm also a member of a sorority. So automatically, you get a lot of um, underlying microaggressions, underlying bias about being an athlete, right? Um, particularly being, I found more likely being an athlete, mostly male African-Americans, I found have always had that stigma that we aren't very smart. And so, you know, it's, I've always believed I can better show them than what I can tell them. And so I stand on that truth. So sometimes you have to choose your battle, and sometimes you have to decide whether it's worth having the conversation, because you can't fight every single battle. That's just gonna wear you down. It's gonna cause much more anxiety. And if that person isn't in the receiving side of it, then again, you're wasting your time. So what I always say is, 
know the person, try to figure out, are they receptive of it? Because you can't change their minds, but the only person you can change is yourself. And if they aren't willing to be open, then sometimes it's best just to kind of move along. But there will be times in the classroom, there will be times where you're gonna be faced with these underlying microaggressions, these bias. As I said, myself, being an athlete, automatically thinking that you know, we weren't very smart, that, you know, why are you taking this high-level class? Um, and no, saying things as if we weren't going to complete our homework. Um, so you, you deal with a lot of different types of ways that people are going to address you, right? Maybe it's your hair. Maybe it's the fact that um, you might be a, have an issue with, their, the person might have an issue with colorism. It, it just depends on the situation, and again, you have to know what it is that you're going to address, how much of it that you think that you need to address, or better yet, maybe you need to speak to someone to figure out how you should navigate through that. Because a lot of these microaggressions and biases across gender, across race, across ethnicity, across socioeconomic background, they can be compounding. And so that's what I can tell you right off. Choose your battles, be smart about it, know who to speak with if it's something that is persistent and something that you can't talk through. So the first thing is response and not reaction. Yeah. And you know, one, a couple of things you mentioned, Mary, um, are also being part of a team and being part of a sorority. Those are communities where you can talk through this stuff. Right that you're experiencing, so that you, you know all the time you're not alone. Like, this is happening to my friends on the team. Um, they know this, too. It's not, it's not my personal thing, and I think having those communities, whatever they look like for you, if you're an athlete um, in the Greek system or not, um, that those communities are crucial. Yep. And you have to form your own community. Mm. The people that are in your dorms, the people that, um, that you room with, you need to really get out and know people, meet people. This is how you survive through college. It's not working in silos, people. It is being able to say, hi, I'm such and such. And once you get to learn other people, you get to learn about other people, and people get to learn about you. And that's how we create this space where everyone feels welcomed, right? Um, they might look different from you, that's okay. I, I love difference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> per se. Um, I'm drawn to that because that helps me to grow. That helps me to um, learn new foods, new mm -hmm. culture, new ideas, new thoughts, look at things differently. And definitely you're going to be challenged in your classrooms. That's our role as professors. Mm -hmm. But I think even more importantly, you know, your friends should challenge your thinking as well in a very polite, congenial way, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To add to that, some easy ways to get out there. Um, your resident advisors, if you're a resident living on campus, we take the time and money to set programs for y'all. Um, and those are not those are not places where you need to feel like, oh no, like who am I gonna talk to? Like what am I gonna do? They're supposed to be a safe place for you to make those friends, make those connections, learn from people that look different than you, act different than you. College is the place for that. Um, also your peer mentors should be there for you. They can walk you to places on campus like the Multicultural Center. That, um, something that Brandon can probably talk about a little more, um, that's in the, 
the student center here on campus. We also have hall councils in each building. They should be taking your advice, your ideas, and turning that into um, more programs for y'all to enjoy. Commuter students, there's a commuter lounge for you to meet new friends and people like you as well. So there's a lot, a lot of resources and take the time to get to know your resident advisors, get to know your peer mentors, um, CASAs, there's so many places for you to learn and um, develop yourself. And before before we go into the next question, one thing that, that I'll add to this conversation is that when you, so many of you will be encountering perhaps um, people that you haven't been close to before, that you may be close to, you might be working on a project, you might be their roommate, um, you might um, otherwise be close with them in a team, a club, or whatever. Um, but it might be a group of people that perhaps you've heard things about in the national media, or you've heard things about um, from your communities at home, from your families. You know, for example, right now, um, there's a lot of talk about transgender people, if you haven't noticed. I pay a lot of attention um, because I'm trans. And when I was sitting in your seat in college, I was a blonde girl looking like I was on the tennis team. <laughs> uh, and many things have happened between now and then, obviously. But that's something that, you know, I've encountered people who are saying things about trans people in front of me, not knowing that I'm trans because I haven't gotten to that yet. Um, and I don't just automatically shake people's hand and, and just tell them everything, you know. Um, but they don't know, and so they're, they're uh, I think, or they have this idea, and then all of a sudden they have an opportunity. You meet a trans person for the first time, or fill in the blank, whatever that might be. And you've heard a bunch of stuff about that group of people. You have a choice to pause and think about, like, oh, wow, okay, so uncle so-and-so, or my dad, or my whoever, has said all of this stuff about this group of people, and yet here I am having this, conversation with somebody who's a part of this group. Um, and that's such a good opportunity to pause and reflect on like, where did their ideas come from? And then how can you form uh, your own? But just be aware that sometimes what happens is, you know, people just respond quickly about something and they don't think, and then they say something that's, that's harmful or they write something on somewhere that's harmful. Um, and I think we can interrupt that by just taking a pause and asking with curiosity, like, oh, okay, this is one of those moments that they talked about in that podcast. Maybe I should just hold my tongue for one second and then think about um, where did I learn this? Where did I learn this? Um, Y'all got these questions. Roll it in, boy. Um, <laughs> Um, the first thing that I will say is, um, yes, it is unrealistic to think that you will be completely unbiased. We are human beings, we are people, and biases comes from basically our most innate versions of trying to find safety. So that's basically what the bias is trying to mitigate. There used to be more issues for us to try to, you know, deal with how a situation concerns safety, you know, like in the caveman times, but now we're just people dealing with who and who is not a safe person based on who they identify as. That's not exactly the best thing, though it is situational. Um, and I'll say from my personal experience, because someone wanted to know um, how we dealt with biases against us um, and then deal with professors being biased. Um, mm, yeah. When I first got to Southern, Screw it, I'm 32. It was 2013, <laughs> um, and I had already been in school for a while after, at that point. But um, I was 
working at the radio station and there was the general manager of the radio station was, you know, he was cool, we were great. Um, and we had just so happened to both be alone in the room and just started chatting. And that's when he told me that um, his mother was afraid for him to come to Southern because it was in New Haven and she thought it was a all black school. <laughs> and she was afraid for him because they come from some all white town, I don't remember what it is, and they had never met black people. Um, so he said, you are, <laughs> this is my first time meeting black people. Um, and before that conversation, we were cool. He, you know, there was no inkling that I would have had that this person had never encountered someone that looked like me. Um, so that's the first time that's ever happened. And sometimes you'll have situations that you are surprised about. It definitely surprised me. Um, but it wasn't something that was going to stop that relationship because it wasn't like it was a um, contentious re relationship. We were cool, you know, we were all family in the radio station. So it was one of those things that was a learning experience um, for me just to know that we're all coming in with different things. We're all coming in with different experiences. You don't know who's encountered someone that looks like you, someone that identifies as you, someone that comes from the same country as you. Like, you have no idea what people are coming in with. So I say come at it with a fresh mind. Obviously, if it's discriminatory, you know, you don't really want to deal with that person. But as Mary was saying, it's very um, pertinent to the situation that you're having. And the first thing I would say to do is be like, hey, is this a relationship that I care to even foster? You know, if this is yeah. a passerby and you have absolutely nothing to do with this person, this person has nothing to do with you, if it's a one-off, you know, something like that, they're not even worth giving your time to because you're here for education, you pay your good money, you're going into debt, you ain't coming here for no, <laughs> you know, issues with other absolutely. people that don't know how to act right. So I would say that's the first thing. If it is a continuous thing, I say it's definitely worth talking to somebody. You don't ever want to put yourself in jeopardy. I say when you come in this place, it's you first. It's you first before anything. Y'all paying money to be here. You yeah. understand me? You ain't paying here to be here for the next person. You ain't paying here to be somebody right next to you right now. You're paying here because you want to get an education. So you are first, and, and that's it. So if somebody's causing you an issue, then that means they're messing with your money. That's how I see it. Okay. <laughs> you know, like you're messing with my money. All right? So I say go to whatever resources, because I don't know how you guys think about it, but everybody that's here works for you. They work for your benefit. They work with that money that you're spending. And so those resources that's on campus are not just that cool and fun thing to go to. These are people that are working for you. They're making their money off of your tuition. So you're paying them to help you. So go to those people off right and be like, listen, this person over here messing with me, messing with my money, messing with my ability to get my education. <laughs> this is your future. This ain't nobody else's. You know, if you mess up, that's on you. That person is not going to be the one to help you. So I say that's first and foremost. It's, it's you first when you're sitting in these seats. It's you first when you're in these classrooms. So if somebody's bothering you, go to somebody else. Say, listen, I pay you to deal with it. Deal with it. And so that's valid. That's, you know I was laying in, Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> and going off of that, going off of that, that just reminded me, um, not everybody is the most confrontational. Not everybody wants to do that or feels comfortable going to someone that has those tools to help you. Um, Again, as an RA, third year RA, um, that's what your RAs are there for. So if something's happening to you or your friend or anything that's happened on campus that can be a biased incident, um, just for example, someone 
you're a black woman, someone touched your hair, you don't like that, right? Mm. We don't like that. Um, go to your RA, explain to them what happened. My friend and educator here in the room with us, Patricia Gagliardi, she is an educator and she taught specifically um, people who work in residence life, RAs, hall directors, something called restorative justice. And restorative justice is a method that can be used that is not always punitive. You know, sometimes in higher education, um, we fail to remember that there are people harmed in situations like that. And so what we can do is have a roommate mediation or just a regular mediation between you and the person that may have offended you. Um, the resident advisor can be there, the hall director can be there. And we just have a conversation, you know. We talk to each person, get their point of view, you know, make sure that everyone's being heard because let's face it, sometimes we're biased and we don't realize it. We may come from places where, again, like um, Danielle was saying, that person has never seen a black person before. This person may not have ever seen a trans person or a gay man before. And we don't understand fully the consequences of our actions, but we're here to learn. So your resident advisor can be the first step in doing that, peer mentors as well, and then if it's a more serious case, we can take it to the proper people um, necessary. So don't be afraid to speak up for yourself. Thank you, Zoe. Y'all can clap. It's okay, y'all are very quiet. I know it's early. Of course, I'm a weigh-in. I see some questioning eyes around the room. Oh my goodness. Uh, I, I'm looking at Danielle's very long list of very good questions, you all. Um, we, we did have a moment where we thought, oh no, what if we don't get questions? Right. But you are, that fear is gone. That fear is gone. We have uh, an embarrassment of riches. So, um, you want me to ask one? Yeah, where do you want to take us? <laughs> What's next? So many um, options. So we have two that are talking about the social um, justice university, mm. university label. Um, basically saying, is that label aspiring social justice university because we are an institution that still has a lot of work to do? And also, oh, there's a fly on me, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other one is, what kind of action are we taking to be an aspiring social justice university? That's a loaded question. Well, I'll say this. We are um, an anti-racist social justice institution. This is one of the reasons why I actually chose to come here to Southern as a professor. Me too. Um, when I saw that, and I also began to meet such great, great people here, it even more um, gave me even more of a reason to come and want it to be a part of this great establishment. And I think in any institution, there's always room for improvement. I can share with you that um, we have a new interim uh, president in place. And I think that he's making some great strides in ensuring that we continue to improve um, our university, our culture, our climate for you as students here, and also as, as faculty and staff. So we're currently putting in place strategic plans so that we can create that culture and that climate of inclusivity here at Southern. It's always a, a work in progress. It's always um, a plan of action um, that we are constantly trying to um, work on. And I think that change takes time. 
And I think one of the questions I just briefly wanted to reflect on is saying, how do you work with, um, or how do you address even faculty that might have biases and microaggressions? One of the things I can say, I think we all face this, right? Um, any walk of life. And um, I think that it's a constant improvement for us as faculty. Um, it doesn't matter what color we are, what ethnicity, what background, we're always working on improving ourselves. One of the most important things I can tell you is that I've really worked on is understanding your generation. And I keep saying that, but that's important, to understand who you are. And uh, that's on us as faculty for, uh, for us to really improve our focus and being able to have these kind of conversations with you. On the other hand, I will challenge you to do this, to think about the generation that's actually teaching you, right? This could be someone from baby boomer all the way to a millennial. So we will have differences. Um, and so think about before, as I said, reacting, think before responding, and maybe you might wanna have a conversation with that particular professor or staff member, just to kind of figure out a little bit where they're coming from. Sometimes that opens up that space for conversation, and you may find out that that is not the intent, which is usually a microaggression, right? But that you can somehow work through that. And I think that that is key, that is important, because the first thing I'll tell a student is, I'm sorry, or that truly was not my intent. And let me explain my position and why I responded this way. Um, and I'm hoping and I'm, I honestly believe that a lot of the professors here are open to having that conversation with you individually as a student. Sometimes that space in that place is not necessarily right then and there in that classroom, right? Because it can become confrontational. But again, as I said, finding that time and finding the right space and place to have those types of conversations when you might feel somewhat intimidated, in which you shouldn't. Um, I would also add that this is an anti-bullying environment. So if you feel that you've been bullied, then there are other areas of people that you need to talk to because sometimes you might feel a certain way, but in actuality, we have to be able to accept your sensitivity to that issue. Um, and we want to acknowledge your feelings. We want to acknowledge and help you to work through that. And I think advisors help with that, mm -hmm. counselors help with that, and as she said, your RAs help with that. So that's kind of what I can offer in that regard. I'm gonna fill in some gaps there. So there's been a couple of things discussed. First and foremost, like um, we just said, you do not have to react to everything, right? Some things you have to weigh the pros and cons. Like Danielle said, it's you first. Self-preservation is just as important. You can also be an advocate while preserving your own sanity. We're not here to change hearts. We are here to say what we will accept and what we won't accept. And those are just healthy boundaries. Um, talking about Southern as an aspiring social justice institution, higher education as an entirety is nonsense when it comes to issues of diversity. That's just what it is. So we can't say that we fully achieved that mission, but the fact that it's here shows that we have a care and desire to move towards it. 
Um, should you run into issues anywhere on campus with another student, faculty, staff, anything like that? I'm telling you from firsthand experience here, I can point to at least four people in this room that genuinely take their job seriously and care. Um, I'm not gonna put them on the spot, but there's two this way, there's some that way, maybe they'll <laughs> raise their hand at the end, but there are a lot of people here who care. It's just as simple as sending an email. If you're intimidated to talk to someone in person, emails are checked to a fault here. Send an email, get a little clarity, ask for suggestions how to approach it. There's tons of resources. You just have to use them. And we believe in checking our emails, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if, if you do send an email to one of us or to anyone um, that is in a position where they can support you, we answer emails. Mm -hmm. um, th that is the one thing I can tell you. I check my emails <laughs> almost 24-7. Um, Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are here to support you in any way possible, any way possible. We are positioned to be able to support you in any way possible mm -hmm. in regards to um, any type of uh, finding a resolution to whatever you're working with or whatever you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the thing about, um, I came in 2018, you came in? Oh, 2019, 2019. I, I can't even remember anymore. <laughs> so when we, when Mary and I came here, actually, and certainly when Danielle came here, a social justice university was like, oh, this is great that this is an ethic that we're gonna work on together, trying to make this a better community. Since then, um, if you've been paying attention to what's happening around the country, there are explicitly anti-social justice universities. There are states where this panel would be illegal to hold because we're talking about um, what they would consider divisive concepts. So I think to me, part of, I mean, that mission was important then and now it's like a, Really important. Really important. Yeah. And, and, and we can't take for granted the fact that there are, are places where people can't use the bathroom where people can't teach African-American history or take African-American history classes or talk about something um, like this doesn't even this doesn't even feel divisive to me at all. This feels sort of like a, a right. you know, welcome. Let's talk about this, you know, but we're not like divisive, like we're human yeah. beings. Of course, we're going to deal with divisive stuff and we ought to. We got to talk about it. We're here to get educated and um, do that together. So um, I just think that that mission is more important now than than ever, but it is a, it's a collective and ongoing act um, because we have new people. We have a thousand new, new community members like every year, um, which this year is you all, so. Speaking of helping, um, we do have some questions specifically for Brandon. Um, basically, how did you publicize your interest in the opposite gender without being judged? Um, and then also, oh, well, I want to tell people that I'm queer um, but I'm so afraid to get judged, especially by my parents. Is there a right time or place? Um, and then, as a queer person, there is an innate fear of hate and discrimination based on who you are either attracted to or identify with. As coming into a social justice school, how does Southern incorporate queer, queer representation into not only the social setting of Southern, but also academics studies? Thank you for whoever asked those questions. First and foremost, for that first question, um, come talk to me in the Sage Center whenever you want, room 235 in the Student Center. But um, in general, you know, when I came out, 
it was a process, and I wouldn't say that it was free of judgment. Absolutely was not free of judgment. I came out in high school, which was a challenging thing in my, uh, in my hometown where uh, you just don't talk about that stuff. So, and when it comes to you know family and friends and whatnot, what I'll say about coming out is you don't owe anybody anything. And you don't need to come out to anyone, because ultimately, a queer identity is your own, and it's a thing for you to own. And how you want to live in your truth is up to you. What I will say is that, to that second point, um, there is always going to be that innate fear of judgment, discrimination, or harassment, because that's just the world that we live in. And it's an unfortunate reality, but it's just the God's honest truth about the queer experience. And to be honest, I don't know if there ever really is a right time or place, because ultimately it comes down to you know situational things. Whatever it feels right for you to come out to somebody or to be open and public about your sexuality or gender identity, it's kind of just a, a feeling that you have, at least in my experience and some of the experiences I've heard from uh, queer peers of mine, that ultimately it just comes down to whenever you feel it's the right time, then it's the right time. and. No one can expect everything to be perfect when it comes to coming out and, and living publicly as a queer person because ultimately we can't control how people react, but we can control who we keep in our lives. And there's a really important mantra in the queer community that's kind of the general experience for most is that friends and family are chosen. And ultimately, you can decide who you want to have coexist with you in your life. And if there's somebody in your life that you come out to and they're not going to accept you for who you are, of course it's important to try to foster a sense of understanding. And there's, of course, going to be a, a feeling of wanting to preserve those relationships, especially with parents. That can be really, really difficult. But ultimately now, especially now that all of you in this room are starting your college experience. And here at Southern where, as you know, although we are an aspiring social justice institution, I came here because of that mission. Because throughout my you know, five years that I've been here and worked here, I feel as though, of course, there's places to improve, but I can live authentically as myself. And I feel like when I walk out on this campus every day, I can dress how I want, I can walk and I can talk as I want, and who anybody's got a problem with that, you can take it up with somebody else because it's not gonna be me. So <laughs> I really encourage any of you in the room that are feeling challenged by you know, those feelings that you, know, you might be attracted to somebody who you might not have expected to be attracted to or anything to do with any aspect of the LGBTQ plus experience. There are people here who want and will talk to you. I'm one of those people, and I'm not the only one either. And if you ever feel like you need to uh, kind of get, a, get to know a little bit more about yourself, there are resources on this campus that are gonna help you kind of peel back the layers of that big gay onion, because that's what happened to me when I started working at the Sage Center. I thought I had identified one way, and psych, I realized that I identify in different ways that I never could have imagined. And it was hard to come to terms with that, but Southern is the place where you can feel safe to do so. We'll make sure that you feel safe to do so. <laughs> mm. 
fun, we have questions about pronouns, which, again, as I mentioned, I got a degree in English, and I am in $25,000 of student loan debt, and I'm going to put that to good use. So pronouns are a highly politicized issue, and I talk about this a lot in um, the queer 101 crash courses I do for a lot of uh, different training sessions and stuff. So I'm really passionate about talking about the importance of pronouns. So we use pronouns every day. They are at base definition, just a grammatical substitution for proper nouns, like names, and there are ways that we categorize pronouns that kind of then bleed into the topic of queerness. So I'm sure we're all familiar with gendered pronouns, like he, him, his, or she, her, hers, relating to men and women, respectively. But there's non-gendered pronouns as well, like they and them, which a lot of queer folks use to describe um, their experience of gender identity that doesn't fit neatly into the categories of men and women. And it can be challenging sometimes to understand when and how to incorporate proper pronoun usage in your day-to-day conversations. But what I'll say is that for a lot of folks in the room might identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth. And they don't, you might not necessarily go through your life uh, worrying about whether or not you're gonna be misgendered on a day to day. And it's important to recognize that that is a privilege. And there's nothing wrong with that privilege. But it's important to understand that if you kind of have the privilege of not necessarily needing to worry about somebody using the proper way to address you, then it's important to, in turn, also respect how somebody wants to be addressed. And pronouns are not a preference, they are somebody's that is somebody's identity. It's not whether or not you know, they prefer to be referred to as one thing or the other, and it's not up to us, any of us, to judge whether or not you know, which preference you know, we'll go with. It's not a preference. Pronouns are really important to respect, because ultimately, to, to be misgendered is a really invalidating and crappy experience, and I get misgendered on the reg. And you know, I don't take it to heart because I know sometimes, most times, that type of like, you know, harm is unintentional. But what's important is, is to, to keep these things at the forefront of your mind. And ultimately, we use non-gendered pronouns to refer to people constantly without even realizing it. And while it can be confusing to maybe understand because gender identity is complex, it's just important to ultimately, it comes down to, it's none of y'all's business. It's, it's not up to any of us to judge how somebody wants to be referred to as. So if somebody says they go by they, them pronouns, that is their prerogative, and it's your responsibility to respect that. And if you have questions about it, there is so many resources online here at Southern to help you understand those things, because the way I explain things might be you know, difficult to understand. Maybe somebody else might explain it better. But um, pronouns are something that, especially in a higher education setting, like a college or university like Southern, pronouns are often, you know, I introduce myself with my pronouns all the time, and they're often brought up in conversation. So it might be a little bit of a culture shock for some to understand that pronouns are actually an important aspect of somebody's identity. But it's these really simple practices of respecting somebody's pronouns can make a world of difference for somebody feeling like they feel safe, affirmed, and that they belong in whatever institution of education they're at. All right, y'all. Well, we could clearly talk all day. It's what we do. Um, But I want to thank you for being part of this first um, podcast live recording that we've ever done. Thank you for all the claps in the front row. We love it. We love it. We love it. All right. (laughs) 